Well, if you would turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. The, uh, the story of Moses as he finds himself before the bush that burns but is not consumed. <clears throat> Exodus 3, 1 through 15. Following the reading of scripture, we'll sing the Gloria Patri. Please stand for the reading of God's holy word. <clears throat> now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, And he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land and into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hivites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what am I, what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. And God will add his blessing to this reading of his word. Amen. The Heidelberg Catechism is taking us through the moral law, the Ten Commandments, to help us think through again how it is that we might show our gratitude to the Lord for his deliverance from our sin and misery and how we might live out that gratitude and honor him in the way we uh, conduct our lives. And we come to the third commandment today. The first commandment gave, gave, gave us the law of loyalty. 
Uh, We have no other gods before him. The second commandment is the law of worship. We are to worship God in the way that he has directed us. Uh, This particular commandment, the third commandment, is the law of reverence. But as we get into that, it's uh, helpful to think about names. Uh, What's in a name? It's perhaps not as true in our own day, uh, but in that day, names were very significant because they communicated often something about the character of the person, maybe a purpose or goal in that person's life. Uh, It identified them, maybe uh, the way they looked. Uh, Names were significant in communicating truth about that person. And we see that really throughout, particularly the Old Testament, uh, the Cain... Uh, The name Cain means acquired. And it was Eve who said, I have acquired or I've gotten a man from the Lord. And so Cain was the one that she was acquired there. Abel means meaningless. You kind of wonder, were Adam and Eve depressed that day when they named him? What what was it that... But anyway, Abel, they named him Abel. Then they named Seth... And Seth means granted. And Adam and Eve said, the Lord has granted or given us a son in place of Abel, whom Cain killed. You have Noah. What a wonderful name. means comfort. Um, The parents of Noah said, perhaps he will bring comfort to the people in his time. They thought he was the promised son. They thought he was the Messiah, that he would bring comfort. Now he wasn't, he was a Messiah. He did provide redemption for God's people, but he wasn't the Messiah. But he brought comfort. Abram means exalted father, man worthy of respect. Abraham, a father of multitude, because God had promised that many people would come from him. Isaac means laughter. Esau means hairy. Uh, And his other name, Edom, means red. Esau was born covered with red hair. Uh, Jacob is the heel grabber. He got the blessings of the covenant by deceit, even though God had ordained that he should have them. And so in a similar way, God reveals himself in his name. And the passage we read here, Moses asks the people of Israel, ask me who has sent me to them. What am I to say? He says, God's response was, tell him I am has sent you to them. Uh, The name I am from the word to be in in Hebrew uh, is... uh, the, the name the Lord, and uh, you all know this, but just to remind you, when you see Lord in all caps in the Old Testament, <clears throat> that is the translation of the word Yahweh, the name given that God gives his, of his own name <clears throat> to Moses. It's four letters, four Hebrew letters, no vowels, uh, the sacred tetragrammaton, And it was so sacred to the Hebrews that they wouldn't pronounce it. Uh, They wouldn't read it. They wouldn't say it. They would say the name Adonai in place of Yahweh when it came up in the text. 
And it's the glorious name of God. It reveals a lot. It's his eternal nature, his being, his eternal being. And that's why a verse we looked at a week or two ago when Jesus says to the Pharisees, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus was declaring in no uncertain terms that he was, that he is the eternal God. He was claiming that name, the I am, for himself. And you see it really throughout John's gospel, all the different I am sayings of Christ. God reveals his nature in his name. And there are many other wonderful names of God in the Old Testament. Turn to Exodus chapter 33. We see this revelation of God's nature in his name. In Exodus chapter 33, and we'll begin at verse 18. <clears throat> then Moses said, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. And I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. And when my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the, in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will, be, you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. And then in <clears throat> chapter 34, after uh, forming the tablets on which would come the Ten Commandments in verse 5, says, Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished, he punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. God reveals his character in his name. Compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love, faithfulness, maintaining the thousands, love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. It's the glorious character of God is revealed in his name. And so that's why here in the early part of the commandments, God gives a command. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Because his name describes who he is. What's the focus of this command? We'll look at some of the requirement of the command in a moment. But what's the focus? What's the, the central focus of this command? Well, two things really. One is a reverence or respect of God. We ask the children, what does the third commandment teach us? And their answer is to reverence God's name, word, and works. The Shorter Catechism reminds us the third commandment requires the holy and reverent use of God's names, titles, attributes, 
ordinances, word, and works. There's a divine solemnity. We need to reverence and respect the name of God and not, as we'll be looking at, misusing it, not taking it in vain. Another element that is kind of woven in here is not consider the name of God something, a, a means by which we can manipulate him. Uh, it fits really with these first three commandments. And in, in that day, there were, and the first commandment is, you shall have no other gods before me. And in that day, people worshiped false gods and they would create an idol of their God. And it was a way in which they could control their God. They could carry it around with them. They could put it on a shelf where they wanted it. And then they would use the name of that God as a way to manipulate that God into acting according to their will. And God is saying, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall worship me the way I want to be worshipped, and you shall not take my name in vain. Now, if you would turn to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19, verse 13. There's a fairly rather humorous story and pathetic. It's the story of some Jewish exorcists. who were going about casting out demons and their effort to manipulate God by the use of his name. So Acts chapter 19, verse 13, some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. And one day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. And when this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear And note this, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. We cannot use the name of God to try to manipulate him to do our will. It's he that deserves the reverence and respect. We cannot manipulate God. And it's wrong to misuse his name because we have to understand that in his name is revealed his nature and we have to reverence and respect him and honor him so what are we what shouldn't we do and then we'll look at what should we do what shouldn't we do in terms of the uh, part of the essence of this command we this command forbids, forbids dishonoring him, the needless, flippant, and profane use of his word or his name. We ought not to just use his name in a flippant manner, in an offhand manner. Jesus, in teaching on the Lord's Prayer, he says, don't use vain repetition. Sometimes we can 
vainly repeat over and over God's name thinking that's accomplishing something. It, for, it forbids the abuse of his attributes or his nature because, which is connected to his name because they're part of his character, what's revealed in his name. John Gerstner writes about this in relation to providence. He says that we can take the Lord's name in vain by complaining about providence. Any complaints against providence would constitute profaning God's name. To complain about the order of things is to to complain about the order of them. And he goes on, let me explain. Suppose you complain that this universe is, is because of the evil of men, an evil universe, badly contrived and regulated, that it should not have such disorder in it. In this case, you are saying that the sovereign God who has permitted a world to exist, which includes sin, has made a mistake. Are you, are you not reflecting on his wisdom? He's not wise enough to do what's right or on his power. He doesn't have the ability to do what's right. Is this not profaning his name, power, wisdom, goodness, or all the attributes of his being? We're not to profane, we're not to profane the name of God, the nature of God. It's to use his name improperly without reverence and respect. Uh, Cursing may be part of the problem. It's not the entire problem. And cursing is taking something holy and making it common. So that when you, when a person hurts himself and they cry out with an expletive and taking God's name in vain, it's taking something that's holy and making it common. Making it Um, demeaned and the command tells us you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain Michael Horton in his book just to kind of summarize this section and this thought writes in his book on the Ten Commandments the law of perfect freedom he says we are to protect and protect and reverence the name of God He says, uh, God's name is not protected when we use it in a profane, crass, irreverent manner. And then he's quoting someone, God is rad, he's my dad, springs to mind. When praise the Lord or similar catchphrases roll off our tongues in a Christian equivalent to that's great, we are using God's name in vain. That is unnecessarily. Casual use of God's name is prohibited precisely because it wears away our sensitivity to the enormous reverence we owe to it. Now, he's not saying that when something wonderful happens, you cannot say, praise the Lord or thanks be to God. Uh, that, that's, uh, that can be done very reverently and carefully and with enthusiasm and joy. All of that's very, very true. But what he's having us think about is how often do we throw off names, uh, names of God or what have you in, in a flippant manner. We need to honor and reverence the Lord. He continues, 
In very few evangelical circles would a dirty joke be considered appropriate. And yet such expressions as good Lord, Lord of mercy, as well as God or oh my God, do occur with disturbing frequency. So sensitive were the Jews about God's name that they never even pronounced it or spelled it. And yet today I see t-shirts being sold at evangelical conventions bearing such slogans as this blood's for you as a takeoff on this bud's for you beer commercial. Whenever we cheapen God's name by vain repetition, irreverent sloganeering, or by actual cursing, we engage in a violation of the third commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. There's a, a song I sometimes listen to the Christian radio station. And um, there, there's a song I, that I make reference to that has the refrain, Great God Almighty. And there's just something about that song. In, and I'm not, I'm not impugning the motives of either the singer or the writer. But what I'm saying is that song, I can't listen to it. I have to turn it off as soon as I hear it because to me it is profaning the name of God. That phrase may be well used and good in different contexts, but the way it's being used in that song, for me, is very offensive. And it's just for us to think about it, just as with the second commandment. We may have some areas where we might differ, but are we thinking about how we're using God's name? Well, that's what we shouldn't do, but how, what should we do? Well, Jesus teaches us what we should do as he's teaching us the Lord's Prayer What does he teach us to pray? Our Father who art in heaven, the first request, more important than anything else you could ever ask God for, hallowed be your name. The greatest prayer, the most important prayer you can pray, greater than any other prayer request is hallowed be your name. As the children explain it, that God's name would be honored by us and all men. That's our calling. That's our ambition. That God's name would be made holy. That God's name would be held to a high and reverent esteem. That we would adore all God's perfections as they are so wonderfully revealed in his name. And in his character. We are to fear the name. In Deuteronomy 28, God says to the people, as a warning for judgment that might come on them, if you do not carefully follow all the words of this law, which are written in this book, and if you do not fear this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God, then the judgments will come. We have to fear the name. To use it with reverence. But the name is also for our comfort. A wonderful proverb tells us 
The name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous run into it and are safe. That's God's name for you. It's a strong tower, the name of God, and you flee into it, and you're safe. Uh, The glorious name of our God. The last two questions of the catechism, and I won't dwell on this uh, very much, but it brings up the question of can we have faithful oaths and vows and offer those? And some of our Christian friends would disagree with us on this and look at Jesus' condemnation, make your yes, yes, and your no, no, uh, not to make vows. Uh, I think Jesus is speaking against the flippant vows of the Pharisees where they would vow in the name of God to do something but would not have any intention of ever keeping that vow. They had already made plans to break that vow. And Jesus is condemning that kind of flippancy in promises that we might make. But it's common in the Reformed confessions to acknowledge that there is an appropriateness to promises, to vows, to oaths in certain settings, court of law in the church, marriage vows, membership vows, baptism and ordination vows. And the point is that you and I need to honor our promises. We need to honor the vows that we make. Uh, If men and women in general in society had a holy reverence for the vow of marriage that they've made, there would be far fewer divorces. Sometimes divorce is unavoidable, but it still is a vow that we promise and we need to take it seriously. So just to kind of wrap all this up and as a conclusion, um, I want to not only encourage you to make a careful use of God's name, but J.I. Packer in his uh, discussion of this particular commandment uh, comes up with three summary conclusions. And I'll just give his, he states them in the negative, I'm going to give them in the positive. Uh, What does this commandment uh, demand of us? The first is reverence. The reverence of God. We need to honor him in every way. Reverence him in our thinking, reverence him in our speaking. The second thing that this commandment calls us to is to guard our tongue. We need to be watch out what we say. Uh, We need to honor the Lord and carefully using our speech. And the Bible is full of reminders of that. Let Let no unwholesome speech come out of your mouth, but only that which is benefiting those who hear. Paul says in Ephesians. So we need to reverence God, we need to guard our tongues, and we need uh, to keep our promises. Um, If we have invoked the name of God in order to give our words believability, it's irreverence to go back on that. Uh, Leviticus 19.12, you shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God. God's calling on us to reverence and honor him 
And so this third commandment reminds us how we can be thankful to God and honor him by the way we use his name. And may you and I live out this command to the glory of God. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your glory. We thank you for your righteousness. We thank you for your glorious and wonderful name. And Lord, we live in this world and we struggle with indwelling sin and we struggle with the passions of this life. And we know, Lord, that we we do take your name in vain. We do misuse it. We are not careful as we ought to be. And we do cry out to you for forgiveness. But help us, Lord, to uh, take seriously what this command is saying to us and watch our speech by your grace uh, that you pour out into our lives. May we desire to honor you more than anything else. And may we um, demonstrate that in our lives to those around us. May you, O Lord, be glorified uh, in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.